0: Welcome to another episode of Imi's Insight. It's your host, Imi, and I'm very excited to share this episode with you. In this episode, I sat down with Alice. She is an accredited dietitian practicing in Sydney, She's a big mental health advocate, a lover of everything nature and outdoors, and she is just a ray of sunshine and a beautiful soul to talk to. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Alice. I hope you find it interesting and educational and hopefully inspiring because I feel pretty inspired by Alice in terms in in a lot of ways, particularly in the ways that she really fosters and takes care of her mental health and fills her cup up. She makes the most of every day and really makes every every moment count but also in her attitude with her balance and her healthy mindset in terms of everything in her life which you guys will hear about throughout the episode. So in this episode we chatted from all things misconceptions, fat diets, the issues with social media and potential eating disorders becoming a lot more common through social media. We also talked about the benefits of social media in empowering um, education and promoting mental health so I really hope you guys enjoy all the things that we covered from dietetics to the really cool lifestyle that Alice lives. Before we do jump into the recording, I do also want to say that I started a Patreon where you can support the podcast in a small donation. So basically with the Patreon, the website's called Amy Russell and there's three tiers. How Patreon works, I'm pretty new to it, but there's basically tiers and each tier is a level of a monthly donation based on like a membership level. So I made all the options quite cheap. The cheapest is $3 and it's just a small donation. If you do love the podcast and you want to hear more to help support it, just to help with the production and the time that goes into it because this is just a passion project and I don't always have the time to come up with episodes. I really want to try and be more regular with the podcast this year. But because it is a little side hustle, I can't always manage to do that. So all the support is really, really much appreciated. But even if you don't jump on that Patreon, I hope you do enjoy the podcast and don't forget to check out the podcast Instagram and leave a comment below of any topics that you would like me to cover. So without any further ado, let's get straight into the episode talking to Alice. Hey, Alice, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, hey, Amy, thank you so much <laughs> for inviting me. I'm really excited to, to get chatting about all things nutrition, lifestyle and everything in between.
0: Me too. Um, I was actually, we were just saying off, um, off air, I don't know what to call it. Before we started recording, we were just saying how we feel like we have met each other before because we've only ever like met each other through social media. It's so, it is wild.
1: Wild, yeah. It is so wild but it's also really beautiful as well that you can connect with different people within, you know, similar states or different states and, and you sort of can understand them but You don't necessarily know them, which is nice, but it's also kind of scary as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's actually true. I know some people who've made friends just from like online, social media. Yeah,
1: it's fantastic. I love
0: it. So to get started, I have so much I want to ask you like this is I'm just like, oh, where do I even want to begin (laughs) Um, before we jump into it? Do you want to kind of give us um, a little intro to who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, my name is Alice. I am a dietitian. Uh, I'm based in Sydney, so close by to Emmy. Um, And I lived in Sydney for a couple of years, but I actually grew up in Tasmania, uh, which was an incredible childhood in the sense that I was always outdoors doing lots of adventure things. I was never one for indoors. Um, so I grew up very active, I guess. And I've always been very active. You know, After I left school, I, I loved going to the gym and, and moving my body. And I love surfing and, and bushwalking and skiing and all those sorts of adventure sports as well. Um, and as a dietitian, I work for myself. So I see clients uh, several days a week. And then I also work a little bit in social media, which is where I met Amy um, on Instagram. <laughs> and yeah, I kind of just, um, I, I approach my business in in a way that is, I'm trying my best to be as balanced as possible and understand that, you know, I don't necessarily live to work. And that's, I guess, something that, you um, I struggle with in the past, and we can talk about that. Um, I'm sure in a moment, but yeah, yeah I, sure. I, I I try to embrace life um, in a very very balanced way. It's not possible all the time, and I get it wrong a lot. But um, yeah, that's about me in a nutshell. I also have a dog called Ziggy, and um, he's the love of my life. I'm obsessed with <laughs> I'm collie dog. He's I think he's. 10 months, um, the other day. So yeah, he just keeps me so, so happy all the time.
0: That was a really great introduction. I love that you got into what you love in life, especially with being really active. I was following that day on Instagram when you did, was it a hundred thousand steps or a hundred? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, what did I call it? Walk to talk. It was, um, I I was in lockdown and, um, when Sydney and, everyone was, everyone I talked to and my clients and my friends were just so sad. And I, I read this statistic about, um, there was the most calls to lifeline ever recorded in history. And I was like, no, screw this. Like I've got to do something. So I decided, I don't know why, like, I don't know why I chose this activity, but I just decided wow. to walk 100,000 steps for lifeline, um, which took about 16 hours. That's and crazy. It was so phenomenal. Like it was the best time. And like, I learned, so much about myself during that 16 hours as well and when you're under so much pressure and pain and exhaustion like you kind of do break a little bit um but yeah that was that was that That, no that's
0: actually such a great idea and I love that you did that because of mental health um, Mm -hmm. and that you learned a lot about yourself on that I do want to ask you about what what did you learn about yourself actually doing that
1: I learned that well firstly I learned that I actually really love connecting with people like I've always known that and it's something that I'm really passionate about and I guess that's what got me into dietetics in the first place but connecting with people on like a really um, intimate level like with regards to I guess their their mental health and their mindset and their goals and everything like that and I remember when I was um, doing this walk I aside from like when I, I aside from like the very early hours of the day that I started <laughs> within the the, the 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 normal person's time, um, <laughs> I called all these people and I made a bit of a goal to just call people that I hadn't talked to forever and you know school friends and family members and. I just remember feeling so much joy every time I got off the phone to those people. And I was like, damn, like, this is actually something that I really enjoy doing. So that's like one thing I learned about myself. And also as a whole, like you can, if you set your mind to something, you can absolutely achieve it regardless of how physically demanding it is or painful it is. If you're able to do it, if you have a passion and if you have an intention behind something, your brain is really powerful and it can overcome a lot of, um, the physical barriers as well so that's kind of what I learned um along that that day of doing the walk
0: yeah no that's that's really beautiful I did see a quote recently that I've been thinking about a lot it yeah. was like your body can withstand so much more than you think it's your mind you have to convince
1: mm. it's so true yeah, it is so true. It is, but it kind and this is sort of like um the predicament that I'm often in. That's like, you know, your body can withstand all this, but like there are instances where you don't want to push your body, and and I'm sure we'll get into that in a moment. Where like, you know, living um and and being healthy and thriving sometimes means that we need to respect our body and our mind and be okay with just being okay and not a hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a time and a place like push in hard training sessions, but you have to also listen to your body and take recovery days. And yeah, yeah no, definitely. So before we jump any further into your career path and just any, everything about lifestyle and yourself,
1: yeah,
0: which I'm, I'm very keen to talk about, I wanted <laughs> to jump into some of the big like juicy topics when it comes to diet and the media and misconceptions and particularly fad diets, um, myths. Yeah. And just like, I guess, being a dietitian who sees a lot of clients that may have potentially eating disorders or issues that have been because of social media or just the media in general, kind of just like all of that, I feel like there's kind of a ridiculous amount of issues that are associated with the media. Um, so yeah, with um, a lot of your clients, do you feel like, there's not enough education out there or maybe misinformation that's really harmful potentially
1: yeah yeah exactly you're you're exactly right like unfortunately um there's a lot of diets out there and those people who um, are quite vulnerable, such as you know, women in particular, some men, um, but more so, women are quite influential um, at a at an age between like sixteen and and twenty six, and those sort of um, marketing tools or or industry brands or whatever often um, use a lot of their techniques on those on those people, and it's really disheartening when you. You, you meet a client, for example, who has been diagnosed with an eating disorder. And the reason why it may have, I guess, been sparked, obviously, it's very multifaceted. But, you know, one of the reasons why it may have been sparked or, or heightened is because of a comment made on social media or an advertisement or a, a diet plan that they were put on by maybe a an unqualified fitness instructor so it is really um disheartening but if i kind of flip it in another way it's also quite empowering and and exciting because it means that we as as people on social media even you know qualified people dietitians nutritionists have a important role to kind of Drown out the sounds of those people who may be spreading misinformation, but it's um, far more common than I want it to be when it comes to um, the impact that it has on on young women and men um, with their relationship with food. And yeah, it does suck sometimes, and sometimes I get a bit upset about it all.
0: Yeah, but that that's actually a really good way to see it. That it, you know, you can be empowered by it. this is a potential platform to spread education and a good message. Um, Before we keep going, I actually did forget to say you're an accredited dietitian. Can you explain like the difference for those who might not know between a dietitian and maybe any other kind of
1: nutritionist or? Yeah, really good question. So a dietitian, an accredited practicing dietitian is a health professional who's been to uni it's usually about five years sometimes four and a half to complete a um, undergrad and a master's degree sometimes it's combined to do you know an undergrad and a master's but at the end you get sort of the master's of dietetics and become a dietitian that involves a lot of intensive placements say for example at hospitals or community sites and by the end of it you have a vast knowledge of things like disease states and where nutrition can play a role in helping manage or cure certain diseases. So if, for example, um, someone came to a nutritionist who had diabetes, that nutritionist isn't necessarily trained in managing that person because it's a, a disease state, diabetes, right? So If you were to recommend somebody who had a chronic illness or a condition of which is quite complex and not necessarily the norm, a dietitian would be really important. Dietitians can work in a whole range of different settings, one of which is prior practice. Another one is community centers, gyms, but also things like hospitals, and they can work with a whole range of different people. So more so the, the unwell rather than the well. Nutritionists—it's not an accredited term, or um, I guess you could say like a um, a term that what's that word? Um, I, I know what you mean. It's like regulated term, yeah. So a nutritionist isn't regulated. So basically, what that means is you know anyone can call themselves a nutritionist um, because there's no sort of standard um, in terms of that term. So, for example, a nutritionist can be somebody who did a three degree. Bachelor of Nutrition Science or it could be someone who did a six-week course at at a random online site. Um, Obviously, the thoroughness of that education is very different, um, but because it's not a regulated term, it doesn't really matter. And nutritionists can't necessarily work with people who are unwell in the sense that they can't really work with people who have medical conditions. They can really help people who, for example, just want some nutrition education around healthy eating a balanced diet, more so population-based. So for example, the Australian guide to healthy eating, they can do that sort of stuff, but they can't necessarily prescribe meal plans of the, of the, um, of like, I guess, a personalised nature because um, it's really hard to do that without that sound biochemical nature of of um, of the human body that you get sort of that education through dietetics. So long story short, dietitians are generally more trained than nutritionists.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, I think that's like where it gets problematic when there might be people kind of outside of their scope of practice, potentially selling harmful diets, um, through their Instagram, especially as you said, it's a non-regulated term. So it could be someone who did like a six week online course. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully there does become some regulation. So people that have done a three-year degree can get some more credit, um, compared yeah. to someone who's just done like a short course.
1: Yeah, it's really it is pretty crappy. Um, but you'd be surprised how many other sort of professions have non-regulated terms within them as well. So yeah, diet nutritionists, but it is really frustrating. Um, but I think I, I hope that people are becoming more aware of the role of dietitians versus nutritionists or just like general people who are health coaches and 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 their their scope of practice and where that lies because I think dietitians are coming a little bit more um evident within the health professional space so that's that's kind of exciting as well
0: oh yeah for sure and like as you said like with um more like knowledge around what dietetics means online that just made me realize like how much over the last like eight years the messages portrayed through instagram and diet has been. It's definitely improved a lot. Like I remember years ago when like 1200 calorie diets and juice cleanses were the type of thing that would be, you know,
1: Mm. shown
0: through like role models. And I think it's definitely improved a bit since then.
1: Absolutely. And I think as well, like the, the um the emphasis that people are putting on their whole health rather than just their looks, I think that's absolutely had an influence on diet culture. So strong still, and it's got such a way to go. But I think that now people are a little bit more empowered in educating themselves that it's definitely had an important impact on, I guess, their um, curiosity and analytical um, take on certain diets and maybe questioning it a little bit more and feeling confident to do so.
0: Yeah, yeah, like in the past, and this is something you learn as well with like education, like going to uni and they teach you how to critically appraise things. But in the past, I guess, when, I, especially when I was younger, for, for me, if I saw someone preaching some type of diet, I wouldn't think... I wouldn't stop and think, oh, like, hang on, like, really? Like, that doesn't make sense. I would I would say or I'd think like, oh, okay, like, let me like read into what this is about, like rather than having a look and thinking, okay, this doesn't necessarily seem accurate.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that's why, you know, this population group is so vulnerable because we're not very good at critically appraising information and we're very influenced by people that we look up to. So That's why it's really difficult, Fortunately, No, exactly.
0: So one of the things I did want to ask you, and this brings us onto that topic with people who are influential and influencers, Um, the way, like, okay, so I know, like, the Kardashians isn't really a good example because Mm -hmm. obviously they're kind of just an elite lifestyle. They're not really more like those relatable influencers. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they are an example where they have promoted things like, appetite suppressants and stuff like that to a young audience or waist trainers. So Mm. I feel like they're not, they're not the best example because they're not that relatable audience, but the more like relatable lifestyle influences, Mm. what are your thoughts on, I've noticed the use of like negative connotations around food, like using words like sneaky for a snack or like clean or those type of words, cheat. Um, Mm. And even like, really preaching like gluten-free, dairy-free when they don't like explain like that some populations don't need that, like that doesn't necessarily equal healthy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I agree. I think, you know, the wellness space um, is really saturated right now. And, And unfortunately, some influencers sort of take that with both hands and use their influence to and their lifestyle to, I guess, um, influence a whole range of different people, and it can be really frustrating when um, these sorts of people make these claims that these sort of diets help me, and you're right, like we don't necessarily need to listen to them, but the way that our minds work is definitely, you know, we listen to people we look up to, and these influences we look up to, right? Like they're amazing, they're perfect, they've got the best body, they've got the best lifestyle, they've got the best husband, they've got the best kid, whatever. Like yeah. we just look up to them. And if we're not educated in, in, I guess, analysing what they're saying, it can be really difficult. And the other thing is the more exposed we are to certain Lifestyle, say for example, gluten free, the more we kind of think of that as, okay, that's the norm. Should I be doing that and questioning our own life and our own lifestyle, our own diet? So, yeah, it can be really toxic. And then if that influencer doesn't necessarily justify the reason why they're doing that or, um, you know, why you shouldn't do that, then there's no reason as to why we shouldn't do that because we, in, in our eyes, want that body and we want that life. So, if we follow a gluten free diet, we'll get it right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Yeah. or, like, the happiness and, like, how, yeah, exactly. Mm,
1: mm, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of people seeing like, will start to equate, like, oh, gluten-free equals healthy without knowing, like, if you're not celiac, gluten can be, like, a perfectly healthy. um, It's, like, yeah, so I feel like even, like, for myself when I was, like, in high school and I would see people saying, like, all this informa- misinformation on dairy or, you know, these people eat gluten-free because for whatever reason, I feel like a lot of it did influence my own thoughts of those foods. And I've slowly, as I've become more educated, I've realized that this way of thinking was just because I wanted to, oh, I was influenced or inspired by someone who I looked up to, but they really didn't know or accurately portray what this was, if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah and it's really um it's really upsetting but it's also kind of like as much as these people don't want to um i guess uh accept it they have a huge influence and they have a responsibility and if they're going to preach these certain diets they need to know the repercussions of those certain diets on people who are vulnerable and what kind of bugs me is sometimes they don't really accept that and they 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 sort of disregard the impact that they have, both negative and positive. And that can be really frustrating from a from a from a dietitian's perspective because it's like, look, like we are, as health professionals, seeing the implications that these people are having on on, on our clients, and you know, you're not even accepting the responsibility for that. And that's, that's what frustrates me the most, I think.
0: I can imagine that would be (laughs) so like, what's the word? Frustrating, (laughs) just frustrating having people that you you wish you could tell your clients like, oh, don't take that, like, don't take it to heart, take everything with a grain of salt, but it's easier said than done, obviously. Have you ever come across like, just, I just thought of this because I feel like it's something I've kind of noticed people convincing themselves almost, um, and not even intentionally, it might be subconsciously that they have like lactose intolerance or they're a bit celiac because they don't want to eat that food, but really they're just afraid because of what they hear about it.
1: Yeah, that's really common. And it is a sort of disorder behavior with regards to relationship with food. Sometimes we get told or we assume or we see that gluten, for example, is inflammatory or it's not good for us. So we sort of create this aversion towards it, but then we start not having it because we think it's, you know, the devil. And then all of a sudden we sort of start to feel sick when we have it. And we don't necessarily physically feel sick, but psychologically our body can actually you know, um, create that feeling of sickness from that gluten-containing food because in our eyes, it's a bad food. It's a a food that's loaded with a lot of ideas, facts that aren't necessarily true and that can absolutely have a physical impact on us. I also see this all the time where, you know, we, we stop having certain foods because we think that they are actually a result of our, our health woes and, you know, we might see a benefit that from that in the short term, but in the long term, it's actually not the reason why we are having acne or bloating or anything like that. But because we see these people, say influencers, for example, doing that, we sort of grab that with both hands and, and take, it as, take it as ours and take it as gospel when, it, when it's really not at all. Um, but, yeah, that absolutely happens more often than not.
0: Yeah, no, that is very true. Actually, thinking back, I've definitely seen posts about like dairy is inflammatory, gluten is inflammatory. And now that I think about it, like exercise is also inflammatory, yeah. but it's still good for you. Yeah. It's the yeah, really point. Yeah. Wow. That just, I don't know why that only has just occurred to me that I was like, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, uh, like just not enough information given with that
1: statement of this is inflammatory. Yeah. And remembering as well, like inflammation is a completely natural part of the human existence. Like it's normal to be inflamed, you know, metabolism, breaking down food that inflames our body to an extent. What we don't want is that chronic inflammation and gluten and dairy do not chronically inflame our bodies whatsoever and there's absolutely no evidence to show that at all i think that what these people potentially have done is is kind of cherry-picked pieces of information from from data from research and gone okay let's put these all together and that's our conclusion it's like well if we think about it most studies have for and against information and data and results so you know if we cherry-picked all the against information then absolutely that would show that, you know, that fact is true or, or not true or negated. If we cherry pick the, the opposite, then the opposite will be true. It's like when you see documentaries, they just cherry pick bits of information. Uh, go, Here we go. That's the yeah. fact. It's, it's really not. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's that's when, you know, information, uh, I guess knowledge around research and experiments is really important as well because, yeah, you know. yeah, that'd be a very yeah. low quality. Yeah, like yeah, you know, low quality observational research, like yeah, data, data from like sixteen hundreds at some <laughs> fucked down their ass. Like
0: sounds <laughs> like paleo. Yeah, exactly.
1: No, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah,
0: yeah. No, that that's very true, and it's just like again that with going back to saying exercise is inflammatory it's acutely inflammatory, but chronically long-term it's the opposite. So that's kind of like just knowing that you haven't just cherry picked that one piece of information and made it a very low-quality mm. paper, if that was a paper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just being able to talk about the positives and the negatives of, of a food or a diet um, without being biased is important.
1: Yeah, yeah, bias. It's very true, very true. And I think as dietitians, we are non-biased. That's what we're taught to do. Um, But there is a lot of bias with potentially people who may have a preconceived idea about a certain diet or have personal experiences with a certain diet, which essentially sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, um, taints the information that they put out or the, the, the diets that they preach.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm. Talking about kind of fad diets now, there are so many out there. Are there any, or even just misconceptions? Like, what's some of the most ridiculous things that you yourself have come across?
1: Oh, I feel like I don't know. Like, there's a lot. I heard one the other day. Um, it was like a diet. I saw my friend show me on TikTok. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I've like, heard that
0: apparently diet culture on TikTok's really bad. Oh,
1: honestly, I avoid it. I can't believe it. Like she was, cause I don't really have, I don't have to, I follow one person on TikTok cause um, <laughs> she's just funny. And like, that's the only reason I go on it. But I, a friend showed me like a few TikTok videos and it was like chewing gum diet, air diet, water diet, like uh-huh. celery, celery juice diet, your typical kind of bad diets. But it's actually so interesting to see what people can come up with as a way to justify losing weight or detoxing or whatever it may be. And I get why people do it because it's it's really appealing. It makes them achieve their goals quicker potentially, but it's so, 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 so harmful for so many people to do that. And because it's not really regulated on Instagram or TikTok or any social media, it's really hard to just like, like you know, to help people like because you can't control what they look at.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that thing that like stresses me out when you say that is like to me, TikTok is like so many primary school children and like early high school. Yeah. And especially at that like age where they're like 12, 13, and they're like, Why don't I look like whoever it is they follow? And then yeah. they see this, oh, quick fix, eat air for two days. As like that as silly as that sounds, when you're that young, you're probably you know, that's something that they'll take on. And it's obviously so damaging physically and mentally even to do that. So TikTok stresses me out for that reason. But I know there's like, there's a fun side to TikTok, but I feel like there's also a very possible toxic side to
1: it. I remember I had TikTok, like sometimes I upload my Reels to TikTok, like just on like oh, I might become famous one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. might was, blow up. Yeah. And um, once I got like so many comments and they were so horrible, like oh, it was just like a recipe or something. And, like, you shouldn't use this, you shouldn't use that, like blah blah blah. And I'm like, babe, like I'm just helping. Like, I yeah, I'm like, if that's what like me who has like one follower on TikTok get, like imagine really, like. <laughs> actually have a following and imagine the kids reading this and being like, Oh, that person said you shouldn't put gluten in, you know, your sandwich because it's yeah, kill you. Like imagine yeah. like your eight year old being like, oh my gosh, I can't have pasta now. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. Which Ugh. is
0: so sad because like I remember at eight years old, like that's like when you when you look back, you're like, Well, I didn't think a second thing about food. Yeah.
1: Like children
0: are the best role models for intuitive eating. I love it. Like yeah. back in the day, you just used to eat when you were hungry. You'd stop if you were full and you would always say yes to cake.
1: Yeah. 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 I know. And like, I actually said it to my clients. I'm like, you know, how did you eat when you were a kid? Like, let's think about it. Let's go back to that because that's when we were so not influenced by other people and what what people were doing and childlike you know when we're looking at our childlike state that's actually a really therapeutic way to um to help people who have for example disordered eating because it's like okay well what was happening then how are we behaving what were we doing what did we enjoy doing and then that can be a really great um, kind of platform to use to, to relearn essentially how to eat again and to listen to our hunger, to listen to our fullness, to honor our body, respect our body and get intuitive with it.
0: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And I love that you use that, but also that like diet, being a dietitian that as you're practicing um, private practice, it's a huge counseling aspect to it. So it's really nice like that you have such a your approach with mental health is so important to you and it's so like it's a very good approach. So I feel like being because it's almost like you have to be a psychologist as well as a dietitian when you're yeah. especially dealing with clients who have disordered eating. Mm. So, yeah, I've, I've always kind of thought about how that referring back to your child self is a really good tool to use. Um, have you found that clients have found that helpful to go back to how they were when they were young? Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. It's a um, it, it can be. I mean, obviously, I pick and choose with clients who I do that with, but it yeah. can be a really um, empowering uh way to think about food. And when we are so riddled with food intrusive food thoughts or disordered thoughts or food rules, it can be quite um quite nice to look back and go, what what was I enjoying when I was young? What did I like when I was young? What foods did I enjoy when I was young? How often did I eat when I was young? How did I eat when I was young? Using that as an experience that you personally have experienced before and using that as a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a scaffold, a bit of a a platform to form your now new behaviours and food ideas can be really empowering however you know obviously as a dietitian um i definitely have a scope of practice of which i have to sort of adhere to and you're right like i feel like sometimes i am a bit of a more of a, a coach or a therapist rather than a, a dietitian sometimes because yeah food is very much intertwined with our thoughts and mental health but It is a bit of a grey area sometimes, and sometimes I even feel a bit uncomfortable breaching certain topics because I'm like, I don't think I should do this. I think this is probably the role of a psychologist. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can't. You can't. You can't look at food without looking at your mental health or you know your mindset. It's just impossible.
0: Yeah. No. Exactly. Especially because it's it's an evolutionary thing. Like food is related to reward and health and so many things so that does make it a bit tricky. It's even the same with like um like personal training that I've been doing. Sometimes if people also want help with nutrition, I'm like, oh I really like that's not in my scope of practice. Like I can educate you on certain things, but I'm not going to be writing you a meal plan. Mm. And that's what like when I see some you know health coaches online, I'm like, what exactly Um,
1: did you study? Like what is a health coach? Like are you allowed to do any of this? Yeah, I wonder that too. And like, I think at the end of the day, if you want to help someone, fantastic. Like that's, you know, people, it would, how great would it be if we could all be educated in nutrition? What I guess becomes a little bit um, difficult is when these people need more so personalized advice and, and that, that professional kind of takes it on as their task. And sometimes that could be a little bit more detrimental to that person then really, you know, oftentimes it's not done in a malicious way, but sometimes that person, that professional is just not educated in that sense. And that's when you need to refer on. Um, It's hard.
0: Yeah. Um, Before we jump into more about yourself as a dietitian, I did want to ask two other things. Um, One is with um, the area of fad diets, Mm. there's so many out there. Like just I know like when I say the word diet I often just mean like your habitual diet because a lot of a lot of the time when I use that word people think like oh you follow a diet I'm like no it just means what you eat yeah. but um when there is an actual like diet what what people would think is a diet um the big ones there's only one I know I saw this post once and I was like yes that sums up perfectly what I believe it was like if any anything that has the word diet like any actual diet like it's not it's not going to be good it's going to be restrictive it's not going to be essentially healthy mm. um except for the Mediterranean diet because it's I'm more just it yeah <laughs> probably <laughs> like, yeah you're probably like I know what you're about to say <laughs> yeah because it's more I guess it's more just like the principles of the Mediterranean diet it's, rather than it's like it is a strict regimented diet yeah. um do you have any kind of opinions on that
1: on the Mediterranean diet
0: or yeah on the Mediterranean diet and then also just about i guess your what are your thoughts on some of these fad diets some that stick out to me when i think of fad diet is definitely keto and definitely paleo yeah so i guess it's really low carb restrictive diets
1: yeah i think you're right like with when when we're looking at a pattern of eating if somebody is saying that they're on a certain diet that is very much designed to be short term then i would say that it's probably not a safe thing to do the mediterranean diet absolutely fantastic like phenomenal could talk to days about it other types of diets that could be really beneficial for some people is the fodmap diet So the FODMAP diet or the low FODMAP diet is a therapeutic diet for people who are struggling with symptoms of IBS. That's a really important diet and it's a short-term diet, but it's not necessarily a fad diet. It's just a clinically used, a diet used in clinical settings under the guidance of a dietitian. Fad diets, in in the sense of a word, are used short-term in tech. Like in a majority of cases, to lose weight or to detox or uh, of that sort of um, quite toxic um, avenue. So, really, like some fad diets, like for example, the keto diet, does have roles and can be beneficial in some instances. Something that comes to mind right now is children with epilepsy. The keto diet can be really important to help manage epileptic seizures. And that's just because of the way that the um, fats are broken down to reduce sort of um, certain energy production that lights up the epileptic sensors in the brain. Um, But majority of the cases, it is absolutely unsafe to do. And fad diets can have a huge uh, huge impact on our short-term health from a physical perspective, but also our long-term health, both physically and psychologically as well. Fad diets are restrictive, they have rules, and we do know that diets are one of the main precursors in developing eating disorders and disordered eating later down the track. So majority of cases, I would hundred percent not recommend any type, type of fat, fat diet, except for ones that you've done or you're doing under the guidance of a trained professional, like a dietitian, say the Mediterranean diet or the low FODMAP diet as an example.
0: Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And I actually, I did um, read about how the keto diet was designed to treat children with epilepsy, um, yeah. which is really interesting actually. So I guess what you're, what my take on what you're saying is, which makes total sense is that there is a time and a place for, for everything. And even something like a paleo-based diet in some populations, like people with diabetes, it might have its place as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's absolutely. And like even, you know, a lower carbohydrate diet, not necessarily keto, but like those of diets, absolutely, they can help with some population groups. However, just sort of reading up information on Google and attempting it on your own it's just not safe and it really needs to be done under the guidance of a dietitian or, you know, a, a trained nutritionist in that space or a GP or a gastroenterologist or, you know, a neuroscience or what, whatever it may be. And there are issues that you may, um, that you may want to manage, but yeah, like fad diets are um, really, 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 really harmful <laughs> in most instances.
0: Yeah. Mm. Another thing I wanted to, mentioned before when you were talking about cherry picking information um, mm-hmm. some of the there's been quite a few recent documentaries um, in relation to food, and obviously a big one was um, game Changers, mm-hmm. um, and I remember when that came out, like so many of the young athletes um, in my training squad, the high school athletes were like, oh, like meat's actually really bad. Like we should all be vegan. And it was very short-lived. Like their families all decided to eat vegan for like a week and then it went back to normal after that. But even just like that kind of was like, oh, this is alarming that these kids all suddenly think that food that is animal product is dangerous um mm-hmm. did you see that that doco I've, yeah.
1: Yeah, i yeah I I refused to see it because I was like this is gonna really annoy me but then I had so many people asking me like I'm you know should I go vegan should I do this like my ex at the time was like I'm going vegan and he was like the biggest animal eater animal-based eater ever I was like what is this shit like I need to just I need to watch this so I um ended up watching it and oh like it was it was really really frustrating and I I, I, it's not like I don't agree with the vegan um, vegan diet. Like I think that it can be absolutely really beneficial. I don't think it's more superior in the sense of performance um, when it comes to sports. I agree with the fact that they did use anecdotal um, characters or, or whatever you want to call it, and they found it beneficial. Obviously, people are going to find different things beneficial, but the experiments that they did on on the um, documentary were oh, they were so cringeworthy. Like even I remember what comes to my mind at the moment is where I think there were two men and they had um, like a burger. One was like a plant-based burger and it was a burrito or something like that.
0: Oh, and they did the blood
1: test after. They did the blood test and they centrifuged it. And what it showed was the person who had the plant-based burger or burrito had a lower um, amount of cholesterol within their blood than the person who had the animal-based burrito. Um, and you know, that at the, um, you know, without looking too far into it, that seems, you know, okay, cool, we can conclude that vegan is better because when you have vegan food, you are less likely to have fat in your blood. But looking at it from a, a clinical perspective, of course, you're going to have more cholesterol in your blood after you have a, an animal-based product because animal-based products generally have a little bit more cholesterol. That's not to say that just because you, you know, have a, a, an animal-based product once you're going to struggle with high cholesterol and cardiovascular disease and die of a heart attack. It just means that you probably just had a high cholesterol meal within that meal. And as a result, there's more cholesterol in your blood. Cool, end of story, yeah? So they have basically taken this information and extrapolated it out and concluded that vegan is best. And I know I'm going to get probably crap for that and shit for that, but like, it's just, it, it just kind of annoyed me that they used little bits of information and just like concluded A big statement and it just wasn't wasn't the the fact of the case
0: oh no as you said that i was like yeah this is bringing back the memories because i remember being frustrated because i have nothing against a vegan diet i wanted to have follow a vegan diet for so long um and like some days i'll eat vegan because i enjoy that food but the you don't have to you can promote a vegan diet and explain the benefits of it without saying that any other diet is bad yeah. Um, and then again, with that cherry picking information, you can still eat, you know, high cholesterol, high saturated fat foods that are vegan. Mm. Um, I think one of the most health foods in bunny is that um, is a bit of a misconception is coconut oil. Yeah. Um, what is your take on that? Um, coconut oil. Just like how it's like over pushed as like a, this is a healthier option to butter or yeah. this is a healthier option to... Whatever.
1: I mean, it just shows you the influence that people can have on on what your ideas behind are like of health. Like, you know, people get told coconut oil is great for us and they don't even necessarily think to look twice into it. They go, cool, that's fact. I'm gonna have coconut oil with my coffee. Some shit. <laughs> coconut oil obviously is very high in saturated fats. And although it's okay to have every now and then, whatever, it doesn't matter, you can put it in the skin, you can have it in your baked goods or whatever. We know that diet high in saturated fat is a a bit of a um, precursor to cardiovascular disease, high cholesterol, and other inflammatory conditions. So. Really, coconut oil is a, a terrible option if you're going like, to replace it with something like olive oil, which is we know from the evidence a fantastic oil in reducing inflammation and offering a, a whole host of different vitamins and minerals and phytoestrogens and things. So replacing coconut oil uh, or olive oil with coconut oil, you're basically replacing like you know your whole foods with McDonald's. Like it's yeah, it's it's just like why yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, it can be really frustrating, um, and I guess that just shows you the the impact that people can have on other people's diets.
0: Oh, definitely. Do you yourself um, have any kind of nutrition or little like things that you live by? Of um, yeah. yeah,
1: good question. Um, I used to like when I was younger. I used to um, have really bad digestion. Um, Issue. So, I used to struggle with irritable bowel syndrome like no other. I tried everything under the sun, low fodmap, everything. And so, I sort of, um, I actually, um, I think it was because I was highly, highly stressed all the time when I was going through. It was essentially like high school and university. I was like ridiculously stressed, and you know, we know with irritable bowel syndrome that one of the reasons why people struggle with it is because of anxiety and the interaction between the gut and the brain. So. It's really fascinating when I when I started actually practicing as a dietitian and um, my lifestyle got a little bit less crazy I noticed there was immense improvement in my symptoms I didn't change my diet but my anxiety and the stresses that were on in my life absolutely reduced so when I was younger in that age I, I followed sort of like you know I reduced FODMAPs and had certain dietary um, requirements from that end nowadays like I'm really passionate about following a diet that is, I guess, um, where all food fits. So if I want hot chips, if I want burgers, if I want like chocolate every day, like it doesn't, I don't think twice about it. I just eat it. Um, I know though, for me, like eating well is really important for my energy and recovery and brain function things. So I'm actually like, I love eating well. Like I love eating good quality foods and vegetables and fruits and whole grains, like I love doing that because it makes me feel good and I love the taste of it. But from a diet perspective, like I eat anything, I eat meat, I eat dairy. There's nothing um, that I have against that. I try to limit my meat intake just because um, I understand that, you know, from an ethical point of view, it's not necessarily something that I 100% align with and also from a sustainability point of view. But for somebody who is quite um, naturally low in iron, I do need a little bit more and meat just helps me hit that. So that's just what I've got to do. But yeah, not really. Short story, I don't really follow any sort of diet anymore.
0: That's, I really like those couple of points that you said that I was like, that's amazing. One is how, obviously, I know that from following you and just you're a generally a very healthy person <laughs> uh, that you obviously eat mostly whole foods, but you also include other foods in your diet and obviously it's, it's all about balance and moderation um have you ever been in a place where you you know were restrictive of certain foods um mm-hmm. and it might have been like a, a fear
1: thing there yeah absolutely so when I was young I um there was a lot of stuff that happened within my childhood and things like that and about 15 years old I I used food as a way to sort of control and I had a lot of different um sort of uh I guess you of fear behind food, or or there was moments where I questioned certain diets and things like, and it got you know it got to a point where it was actually like affecting my mental health, and I guess that's where it sort of led on you know with my interest with dietetics and things and helping people who were struggling with their relationship with food. Um, it's it is I I believe that it was based largely on sort of personal trauma and and family stuff that happened as a way to control what something that I had nothing else to control. Um, but, yeah, I, I I can't imagine if I was, say, 15 now and that happening, I can't imagine the impact. Uh,
0: yeah. It.
1: And probably the how much worse off I would have been with social media at the forefront of everything and influencing so many facets of, of my relationship with food.
0: Yeah, because I guess you would have, in that place that you would have been in, you would have almost been validated to act on those bad thoughts um, by seeing someone else, you know, or a comment on a TikTok saying, don't eat that. You'd be like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to listen to all of this terrible advice because you don't know it's terrible. I think the fact that you are such a, I don't know the word, but you don't restrict, you know, any type of food that you said you find the place for hot chips and a burger that's what you want out of a dietitian, someone who's educated, they know everything, um, you know, that you need to teach someone, but they've also mentally in a good place with
1: food and know about balance yeah, and I think you know what I sort of tell my clients is like health and and a good diet isn't all what you put in your mouth. Like it's what you you know uh, what your perception of certain foods are and the guilt or the not not the guilt that you have around food and food experiences. Like if for example you're eating a quote unquote perfect diet and you feel immense amount of guilt when you go to a birthday party and there's a cake there and you have the cake like that's not healthy and I don't know anyone who would think that's healthy. So yes okay that person has textbook perfect diet but their relationship with food is is it's not that great and the stress the anxiety and the, the reduced quality of life that that causes impacts your health as well. So although I'm a dietitian although I know what's nutritious and not so nutritious we're humans and we're meant to enjoy our life and if that means having hot chips with your boyfriend on Saturday night who cares it's not going to impact your long-term health like in fact, it's going to have a more of a positive impact on your long-term health than not having the chips and having your chicken and rice by yourself.
0: Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think you summed up perfectly the importance of mental health mm-hmm. around both food and just life in general. That yeah. is very true because your mental health does affect your physical health. And as you said before, with your IBS, I'm, that's actually amazing. that it was caused by mental health anxiety. Mm. It's crazy how much our mental health impacts our physical health. Um, Yeah. So yeah, that was beautifully said.
1: Um,
0: So now that we've talked about kind of just like the general scope of what we see out there, diets and lifestyle and nutrition, I wanted to get into more about yourself. I know we've talked a little bit about it. We touched on it a little bit, but what made you decide that you were going to study dietetics?
1: I think, I mean, well, I actually wanted to be a doctor, um, like, during school. And I think it's because, in hindsight, because my a lot of my parents, family members, sister, they're doctors. And so um, my school were like, you know, you've got the brains, Alice, like, you should do your medicine it's a really successful pathway to go down. So I always thought, oh, that's what I was going to do. Um, I love health. I love helping people. So why not be a doctor? Um, And I always found nutrition interesting. I think that paired with the fact that, you know, I had an unhealthy relationship with food in the past. I think that my, um, I guess, interest in nutrition was a little bit more heightened than maybe the regular person who hadn't. But I never really thought that nutrition was a, a path I'd go down as a career. And then I did a gap year in Europe after, after school and um, I started getting more and more interested in nutrition and in why people eat and why people eat certain things and why they don't eat certain things. And I started to explore the psychology behind food a lot more. I started getting really, really interested in that. And then I applied for a university degree at Deakin in Melbourne and it was for the nutrition uh, course and I got a scholarship for the university so I was like oh okay if I don't get into medicine I will do this instead plus I was kind of sick of Tasmania I was like I need to get out of here and if yeah. I it means I'm doing medicine yeah so I decided to go to Melbourne to study nutrition and I honestly like that was the best decision I've ever made like going to Melbourne firstly by yourself and not really knowing anyone is an incredibly life-changing event um and I met so many beautiful people but then also studying a course and feeling like the course you're studying is something you actually want to do for the rest of your life is the most amazing experience and going through the diet the nutrition course it was sort of like you know, you had to sort of decide whether you wanted to be a dietitian or you wanted to study Master of Dietetics because you have to do a lot of different sort of uh, prerequisite courses and you have to do a lot of biochemistry in order to be accepted into the Master of Dietetics. So I sort of decided early on that a dietitian was what I wanted to become. And then three years later, I got into the Dietetics Masters and yeah, essentially that's basically it. I um I did the placements um, that you needed to do and I had, a, I had a few like moments where I was like, oh, like, is this what I want to do? Um, I'm not very much a, um, I guess a run of the meal dietitian in that. Like, I don't really want to work in a hospital. I don't really want to work in a community-based setting at, at a center. I, I've i always wanted to run my own business. So it's I'm very like, I, I love creating stuff. So it wasn't necessarily what we were told a dietitian does. So I found it really, um, kind of disheartening sometimes when I was on placement, I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do this, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, but then thankfully um, I'm kind of doing what I, I love. So I, I, I feel like so grateful every day to be doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: That, yeah. That's the cool thing about dietetics is there's a lot of different opportunities to yeah. take your career. And yeah, I feel like private practice would be, it sounds like it's like working perfectly for your lifestyle as well um but that would have been stressful like being on placement and being like oh my gosh i've just invested my like last couple of years and mm-hmm. i don't want to do this but uh, i guess like bad placement experiences are probably extremely common for
1: a lot of different uni degrees oh and especially like i was doing my placement like at the start of the pandemic like the the covid
0: uh 2020,
1: 2020 yeah whatever. yeah so like yeah it was that was the my life oh actually that was the last place I did was at the start and um I was at the Peter McAllen Oncology Hospital and going to placement every day working with cancer patients in a pandemic like as a student is like so stressful like you don't want to like give your clients like COVID and yeah. then it's just really overwhelming um and there's a lot of people i know who have placement experiences that they don't love but that's not to say that the the degree of the career is not that for them it just means that that placement wasn't necessarily what they want to do and use that yeah. as a bit of information and go okay i don't want to work in a hospital because of xyz cool tick that off the list let's try something else
0: yeah no that's actually a really good way to see it as well it's like a working experience where you can decide if that's what you want to be specializing in yeah um Uh, So as you said, there's two questions I have. One is the lifestyle, like moving out and move um, to a completely different state. That would have been tough, like being a full-time student and making ends meet at the same time. How did you manage to like do that and keep a balance of mental health and with training and exercising?
1: Mm, Yeah. So I think what made it helpful was um, when my, like I, my parents um, brought me up to be quite independent and I think that was helped with the fact that they were divorced. So (laughs) I was like going between houses and, and everything. So I, I've always been quite an independent person. And then when I moved to, to Melbourne um, I was really fortunate to be given like um, Centrelink payments. So I was ordered with that. And um, I I paid like my whole way through university pay for all the accommodation and things, but I was fortunate to have, have worked from, 14 years old. So I had savings up my sleeve for when I needed to pay for food and things like that. And it was um, really hard. And I think that I'm looking back now and being like, oh, that was so fun. But I think in the moment, I actually like struggled a lot in certain instances and certain moments within those three, five years. Um, And I think that the pressure I put on myself was absolutely ridiculous Like I put on so much pressure on myself to get like HDs and stuff because I was so used to doing it at school. I was so used to high achieving and things, but I didn't realise that, you know, when I was at school, like I had support, I had teachers, I had, you know, my parents, I had home, I had food. Like when I'm at university, like you've got to fend for yourself and like the same amount of pressure to achieve this ridiculously high standards from, from an academic point. Plus I had to like look after myself just not realistic so i kind of came to came to a a, a great balance within like the latter part of my studies realizing that like i don't actually need to get 95 percent on an exam like i can get 70 percent and it's all dandy it's fine yeah so then, okay dietitian um but yeah it is a really uh challenging experience but like at the end of the day, like it's, it's helped me move to Sydney and it's helped me be able to communicate with different people and, and find friends. And yeah, it's, it's like, I I wouldn't change it for the world, but it's, it's been, it was a challenge. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like I, that tough, I guess, lifestyle and what you've been through has made you a better person at the end of the day. So I I remember watching one of your Q and A videos uh, Mm -hmm. where you did explain everything. And I was like, that sounds really tough, but I can see that you've like kind of thrived from being thrown into the deep end almost. Um, and then obviously good things have come out of it. Like you've been living in Cronulla, which looks beautiful
1: and yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that with hard times, there's, there's so much growth that can happen. And for me, like personally, I look at hard times, you know, as a bit of a challenge, and go okay. What can I learn from this? Like, this is sucky, and I feel sad about it. But like, what can I learn from it? And I think that that's always been the mentality. Like, even when I was a kid, it's always happened. I'm like, hmm, okay. Like, I'm I'm quite a reflective person, and so I think that's helped with with hard times like that. Um, but I also, you know, I have ideas, I have goals, and one of my goals um, when I finished university was to live near the beach and to get a dog, and like. I, I wanted to do that and so I just tried to, to do things that, that helped me achieve that goal. But I also understand that I'm incredibly privileged to be able to go to university, to be able to move within a pandemic and although I'm saying, yeah, like, you know, have goals and you'll achieve them, it's not always possible because life happens and
0: yeah.
1: everyone has different circumstances. So I am, I am very lucky as well.
0: Those are two great goals. And I love that you've achieved both of those goals. Um, yeah. What would you say is the hardest thing about being a dietitian? Um,
1: honestly, like I think I'm, I'm going to answer this as if what is the hardest thing about being a dietitian um, in private practice who works for themselves? Because I think that that is actually really really hard um and harder than i thought it was going to be when i started doing it and as a dietitian yes it's difficult to always keep up with the research and 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 you know see there's a lot of misinformation and breathe about it and and calm yourself and that's really difficult to see that but i think the hardest thing about my job my role is the fact that you know, owning your own business, it's fantastic, but it's so stressful sometimes. Like I was talking to a mate before, yes, I actually was about this and um, having yourself and only yourself as a, um, to rely on your income and, you know, having clients and and regular clients to basically fund, you know, you know pay your bills, that's really stressful. Like it is really stressful. And not having that sort of imposter syndrome over your head 24 7 that's really hard as well like I've noticed even over the past months like I have like really terrible imposter syndrome sometimes which is basically like I feel like a bit of a fraud and like what am I doing and you know so much self-doubt and when you're working for yourself as a dietitian, it kind of gets a lot more and a lot compound more compound compounded sorry because you don't really have anyone to Pair against and to rattle off information and rattle off ideas against. So, although it's like one of the best parts of my jobs working for myself, it's also one of the worst parts of my job because it is incredibly taxing on my mental health sometimes when I literally don't stop thinking about work. Yeah.
0: Oh, no, that sounds like really hard, especially because, you know, if your clients cancel or if obviously after a pandemic, if people are struggling with money and a dietitian is just not, you know, something they can afford, then that's your lifestyle that you're going to struggle with as well. I think like definitely the business side of it sound like would be the hardest thing as well as like keeping on top of all the new research. Um, It is like a lot that you have to do to be a dietitian. It's not as easy as just getting your degree. It's like always staying on top of everything. Yeah. I feel like that um, I can relate to that kind of imposter syndrome, um, but everyone probably can because especially when you're young as well, I feel like maybe because you're so like early into your career, mm. you might, I, I feel like when you're like, you know, in 20 years time, if you're still doing the same thing, you probably would not feel like
1: that. But uh, maybe yeah. you're so yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, as somebody who essentially went straight into their own business after being a new grad, it's, um, it is, you do question yourself a lot. Um, but I think when I, I've looked into like imposter syndrome and things like that, because I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> um, I've heard that like even the most quote unquote successful people still experience imposter syndrome. So I don't think it's anything that's going to go away. I think it's just something to deal with and, and, and be curious with and to, you know, explore. But when it comes to owning a business, when it comes to working in a social media space, when it comes to being, you know, an, a, a new grad essentially, or, or, you know, only coming out of university two years ago, like of course I'm going to feel this way. Like yeah. I can't do anything about it. All I can do is just continue to back myself and surround myself with people who motivate me and empower me and, and drive me. And there'll be moments of, of pure joy and, and realizations as to why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm putting myself under so much unnecessary stress on could have just been a hospital dietitian and gone, gone home from work and yeah, was sure I felt fine.
0: Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. Like you could just have a salary and be an employee, but then the highs and the achieving the goals that you wanted will make up, make it, make it worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So what's on the flip side, the best thing or your favorite thing about what you do?
1: Honestly, I think that my favorite thing is what I mentioned before about connection and being able to connect with different people, whether that be through my clients, which I absolutely love. Like I love connecting with my clients and, and you know, even on a, a personal level, like getting to know them and understanding their concerns and worries and, and helping them. I love that component of private practice in particular, because you got more time with them rather than if you were to work in the hospital, you wouldn't have as much time to connect with that person. So I love that part of my job. I also like the fact that, you know, because I'm on social media a little bit, like I connect with different people, whether that be my followers or whether that be people who, you know, like yourself, like I'm able to connect with these people. And even though it might, that this like, you know, relationship, this friendship might not have come into fruition without it, and, you know, we might not have known each other. The fact that we can connect with each other and, you know, and and share experiences and be vulnerable, like I just, I love that. Like I absolutely like love that stuff. So I think that that's probably my most favourite part of the job that I do is being able to connect with a whole host of different people and and sort of share stories in a way.
0: Yeah. No, that's a really good answer. I really like that. Mm. And I do like how, you know, you've met a lot of people through social media, as I was saying before, I don't know if I mentioned, but like, you're one of the people on my Instagram that is so positive to me. You know how they always say like, consume content that is good, like isn't negative to you, that's positive, And that, I guess, puts you in a good mood and that doesn't, yeah, like that type of thing. Like you're one of the people that I'm like, oh, when Alice posts, like I know it's going to be good content is going to be something that makes me feel good. And it's just so nice to see because you do promote both mental health balance and just like a good lifestyle.
1: So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's so
0: lovely. Even like your smile through your Instagram. I'm like, you're a ray of sunshine and I love it.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I really like, I, I, I'm so glad that I can offer that to you. And I hope that um, hopefully, I can continue to do that, whatever that looks like, in in other capacities as well. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I want to ask you more about your like approach to both your lifestyle and your routine and your mental health. So, yeah. back to what I was going to start the podcast with: your day today. So, you've had a jam-packed day, and yeah. you got up at four a.m but you also have done things that have filled your cup today. Mm. So I saw on your to-do list, like you at 4am before training and before work, you started with meditation and journaling. And I was like, damn girl. Um, (laughs) Do you do that to help with like your anxiety and just mental health every day?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. So I, I obviously have I've struggled with mental health if you follow my Instagram like before and it's still something that I have to manage every single day and one way that I do that is through journaling and meditation and mindfulness practices so journaling for me like I never was a journaler and when I I started seeing a new therapist in Sydney when I moved here and one of her things like Alice you've got to journal like you've got so much in your mind just write it out and I was like dude, like writing it out, it's not going to help my issues, but it really, it's actually quite a cathartic exercise. And for me, like starting my day and just blurting out random stuff that comes to my mind is incredibly therapeutic. So I do that like morning and night. Um, and it's not something that I'm like, oh, I have the journal. I don't put it on my to-do list necessarily, but I just guess that it's sort of now natural for me to write down what I do. And having done it for a couple of years now, it's sort of nice to look back on times when they were a bit hard and you were struggling to know like, damn, like I've gotten over this. And it is really exciting and empowering for your present self to know that, look, it might be hard right now, but I know that I can get over it because, you know, in May 2020, I was going through something really similar and it was really difficult and I got over it. So, you know, overcome it, not got over it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, yeah. So yeah, like journaling is something that's really important for my mental health and maintaining my mental health. Um, and meditation, I'm, I'm, I kind of wax and wane with it. Like sometimes I'm better at doing it than others. I used to get really frustrated with myself because I couldn't meditate, but. I think about it like if you can't meditate, if you're not good at meditation, you should probably do it more. Yeah. Um, your mind's probably going at 100 miles an hour. So for me, even if it's just sitting in silence for five minutes or two minutes or breathing to a meditation music for you know, eight minutes, like that for me is meditation. I don't necessarily commit to half an hour a day or anything like that. I don't really have the attention span or the time or the patience for that. But for me, even just setting aside some time, to work on myself and to reflect and to just to breathe is incredibly powerful for my mental health, short-term and long-term as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. Those are both things that I've always wanted to get into, but like, I've never committed to staying on top of journaling. Um, And as you said, like meditation, if you're like a overthinker is so frustrating, but that just means you have to practice it more. So, Yeah. yeah, and the fact that you said like, you don't have the time, I'm surprised that you have the time to get up at 4am and do that. That must be exhausting. Do you ever want to just continue sleeping?
1: I think what, um, well, I mean, when it comes to my nighttime routine, I go to bed quite early. Like, I, I make sure I'm in like asleep by nine o'clock. Like, I, if I get up, if I go to bed at like eleven o'clock, no way am I getting up at four a.m. Yeah, no way. And there are moments where I don't get up at four a.m. Like some moments, some days I get up at like six, which is like a sleep. <laughs> like, I love you like six yeah. so, so late, like, like- am <laughs> already up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I know, um, I, when I, for example, when I find it, like when my alarm goes up at four and I, I get up on my, like, look, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I've got the rest of the day. I, I'm not really prioritizing myself because I'm putting my energy into my clients. So I need to put energy into myself before that. If that means getting up and just going to the beach and having a coffee and watching the sunrise with Ziggy, my dog. Great. Like I don't necessarily have to commit to movement or exercise or training, I just know that every day that I do that, it means I've ticked something off my list. I've done something for myself. And if I haven't done something for myself the entirety of the rest of the day, I've still done something for myself in the morning. And at the end of the day, you are important and you need to fill your cup before anybody else's. And for me, like if I don't fill my cup in the morning, I just feel like crap for the rest of the day. And I can't be the best dietitian that I want to be to my clients or, you know, whoever it may be.
0: That is really inspiring. I love that you prioritize filling your cup every day Mm. and that's something I love watching and seeing you do that you always like encourage like even though you're so busy and you do so much for other people you at least do one thing for yourself each day to be the best version of yourself um even if that means you have to get up at a ridiculous time (laughs) talking about Uh,
1: yeah yeah Yeah, no
0: sorry I was just going to say talking about a ridiculous time I I noticed ages ago you were um doing that 5am club I don't know if that's still a thing oh yeah 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 Yeah.
1: so the 530 club it was that's actually um I started going to that because I saw it on social media and I was like damn these are my people like I love that so I started going and that's where I met like a whole heap of my first friends in Cronulla is at the 530 club and I'm still friends with the majority of them actually um sorry Uh, the motorbike oh that's okay (laughs) yeah i'm still friends with like a majority of those of those people but what it sort of um, why i mean firstly covid happened so all the cafe shops shut so i couldn't go but what i realized from that experience was for somebody who works for themselves going to the 530 club and working at 530 it really just lessened the, you know, and then I guess working for the rest of the day basically meant that I was working for 12, 13 hours a day. And for me, like that just didn't work. So what I kind of started doing is, okay, look, I'm still going to get up early. I'm still going to seize the morning, but I'm going to do it in a little bit more of a, I guess, a mindful way and a wholesome way rather than working at 5.30 in the morning. But it was fantastic to meet friends. It was fantastic to get into that routine and rhythm and it's fantastic for a lot of people. But for me personally, I found that it just wasn't going to work for me anymore. And because I have a dog now that needs walking, it just, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Honestly. It was really phenomenal. It's still going as well.
0: Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if after COVID it was um, had yeah. a hiatus, but that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so is it predominantly a time for that
1: people actually like do work? At yeah, the 5.30 club.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: so 5.30 to 6.30 power hour. And so they just work. And then anything anytime after that, have conversations, whatever. Um, there's a whole heap of different 5.30 clubs as well across Australia now. So it's not just the one in Cronulla. There's heaps and heaps, but the Cronulla one was the one that it started at.
0: Ah, uh, okay. I saw that there was a lot and I was like, I'm not sure which one was the first, but that's really cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so obviously you find something every day to fill your cup and you work hard and when it comes to your training I know that you train hard too and I saw you were training for a triathlon at the moment so what's your training routine like at the moment
1: oh well um I I guess a bit of a um backstory is I've had like lower back pain for a long period of time it's like a I think it's chronic lower back pain, which is like really shit. But anyway, um, so I have to be really cautious these days with the amount of load I put on my back. So at the moment, I can't train as much as I want to train. I'm doing a lot more swimming at the moment than the other legs um, because that stuff, it doesn't really hurt my back. Um, But I'm actually prioritizing a lot of Pilates at the moment to help strengthen my back and my core Reformer Pilates in particular, um, because I know that's going to help me with my triathlon, but really like, briefly, like I do at least a swim, a run and a bike ride a week. And then I do all legs on that day with my friends. So all legs, like, you know, you do the swim, the bike ride and then the run. So yeah. that's what I kind of am doing at the moment. Um, but I was in isolation for two two weeks um, over the, the first part of the year. So um, that made it really difficult to, yeah. <laughs> to do anything. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not putting too much pressure on myself because I know that with my back pain, um, it makes it really difficult to be able to train and perform as much as, as well as I can. Um, so I'm just kind of using this as a bit of a motivator to get back into it against the year. But at the moment, I'm actually just focusing on more so rehab, doing my Pilates yeah. and- and not overdoing it um, because I figured like, you know, my back's not going to get any better. I need to start prioritising my rehab. Otherwise, I'm just going to have back pain for the rest of my life and it sucks.
0: Yeah. And do you know what? That's a really healthy mindset that you have around dealing with an injury, Mm -hmm. Not, you know, dwelling on it too much, just trying to do what you can do. Um, And it's good that you're able to do your triathlon training, even though it might not be to the level that you would have hoped for. Yeah. And hopefully the back pain isn't chronic. Like hopefully with the rehab and strengthening, it does. I really hope
1: yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, you, you know, although I do have a nice healthy mindset to it now, like it's, I get sad about it a lot. Like it sounds like yeah. a fabulous mind. Like I'm actually really sad about it sometimes and it really annoys me and it frustrates me, but you know i know the influence that our mental health can have on chronic pain i'm so aware of that and so i'm trying not to ruminate on it too much and i just go all right what can i do quite matter of fact okay i can do pilates i can do this i can do this i'm going to do this to the best of my ability i'm going to try my hardest i'm going to give me this amount of months to to get my back better and at the end of that month or that two months or three months then i'm going to readdress it again but right now i only do what i can do
0: Exactly. And I'm actually really glad that you addressed that saying like, actually, no, I don't, I feel pretty shit about it. Like, because your feelings are valid. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, sometimes don't let themselves feel shit about something that they really like hurts them um, mentally that is. But yeah. I think you're going about it the wrong way. Like, I mean, the right way. <laughs> Acknowledging... <laughs> I'm so sorry. just tell you. Yeah, you're going about it the wrong way, Alice. Um, yeah. That's just really not right.
1: <laughs> you're going about it the
0: right way for sure. Acknowledging that, you know, it's something that does upset you, but you're just going to do what you can do and try to stay as positive as you can. And again, like your knowledge with mental health and how, you know, you think about things, how much it affects pain even um, is super important. Um, yeah with that approach to mental health you said that you um see a therapist um and i have heard a lot of people and I, this is something i definitely believe myself that everybody needs a therapist
1: yeah. um
0: do you like obviously like it might not be you know necessarily for a specific mental health illness or mm-hmm. disorder you might just see them for just the general ups and downs of life um do you have like a regular kind of schedule or what's your?
1: um Yeah. So um, I would agree with like everybody needs to see a therapist. Like, you know, psychology I think is being stereotyped and put into this only see a psychologist if you're struggling with your mental health and I wouldn't 100% disagree with that like a psychologist is kind of like a PT for your brain like you don't have to be injured to go see a PT. PTs help you with performing better in whatever it may be. Yes okay PTs can help you do rehab or, or you know help you overcome certain injuries but you know, they can also help you improve your performance. Same goes to psychologists. So yes, psychologists can help with mental ill health. Absolutely. But they can also help with improving your mindset, improving your mental health in so many other facets of your life as well. So like for me, I've sought therapy for like many, many years. I've seen so many psychologists. Um, and I guess that's, you know, something to note is like, there are some psychologists you just don't get along with and don't work for you. And that's okay. It's fine. You're not broken. You're not different. It's just, you know, finding somebody that you connect with and you want to be vulnerable with is really hard. Um, So yeah, I've seen many, many psychologists. I've seen some good ones. I've seen some ones that I don't necessarily align with or I don't connect with, which is fine. There are moments in my life where I've seen them regularly, like every two weeks, for something that's going on personally. Right now, it's sort of like maintenance, and I have—I feel like I have the tools right now with the life that I live to be able to maintain it for myself and my mental health. But I still see my psychologist every month, and that's just because for me, it's a part of my healthcare and it's a part of what I you know, value and that's mental health. And even if that means just checking up and going, hey, like this is going on. I feel a little bit anxious about this or a little bit stressed about this can you offer your opinion or can you help me with this or whether it's just blurting for an hour about what's going on and then going okay see you in a month bye. <laughs> yeah That's okay. um, yeah what um what I found most useful with my psychologist recently is I went um it was about it would have been about a year and a half ago I had a um a breakup with my long-term boyfriend um just because we moved to different states and COVID and things made it really hard and one of the things that my psychologist helped me with is actually overcoming that and understanding the certain um attachment styles for example that I had as a result of that so it's it's fascinating that you know psychology although I went there to sort of heal from my breakup it actually helped me so much in so many other elements of my life like now I know that you know my certain reactions to certain instances with friends are because of xyz which I learned from a therapist so it actually made me become a much better human and a more empathetic human and actually a better dietitian as well because I understand I guess, you know, the thought patterns. And I'm, I'm so much more curious and aware of thought patterns now that I've sought therapy myself and improved on myself in that way. So I'm a huge advocate for it.
0: Yeah, no. And I, I think that's one thing I just, while you were saying all of that, why it's one thing that's really great about, you know, obviously we said there's a the negative things about growing up in the age of social media, but we've also grown up in the age of normalizing mental health and talking about it and promoting it. And yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm so, so grateful that we live in a time where we can get like help for it, seek support and also talk about it um, publicly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Even like, honestly, even like a decade ago, which was when I was struggling really badly with my mental health, it was so not talked about, like it was sort of shoved under the rug. And nowadays, like, it's just very, it's, it's actually much more normal to talk about mental health as it is physical health. So I agree. Like, it's it's fantastic that that's the direction that society is headed.
0: Oh, for sure. Actually, now that you say that, 10 years ago, like, I think when I think back to 10 years ago, it definitely wasn't something this talked about. Like, there was definitely more like, it was more taboo. And I remember this is such a random memory, but I, I was in year seven, 10 years ago, And I remember it was kind of that like toxic Tumblr time where it was like mental health was kind of um, it was like not really uh, frowned upon isn't the right word, but it was more just like romanticized in a toxic way.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And now, it's yeah, it's definitely come a long way, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, it is. It is really exciting. I I agree. Oh, that Tumblr days.
0: I know. Oh, I'm so glad that that's like not a thing
1: anymore. that was bad
0: (laughs) yeah I wonder if in another 10 years people will be like ill tiktok days without a doubt yeah yeah Mm. Yeah. oh well (laughs) um I wanted to ask um do you like cooking and do you think you need to like cooking as a dietitian like if you
1: were a dietitian is that a requirement do you have to enjoy it oh well I hope not because I don't (laughs) um this is a fantastic question uh I am as, as much as i love fresh nutritious food i'm like quite lazy when it comes to uh cooking so i wouldn't call myself lazy i just i just don't see the requirement of cooking fresh produce every single day like yes, okay, I would love to make a delicious meal for my family or my friends or my boyfriend or whatever. But, like, for me, like, cooking a meal every single day for dinner actually makes me feel sick. Like, I don't want to do that. So I'm really lazy when it comes to that sort of things. And I try to find little loopholes and fast-track ways to to, to get a meal and that's a nourishing meal. And I think that that's, I hope, um, something that I can continue educating people with is, you don't have to overcomplicate it. Like simple nutrition is still good nutrition. Like just because you're not having fresh food every single day for dinner or fresh meals or whatever, or perfectly curated dinners, like doesn't mean that you're not going to be healthy. Like if you think about nutrition as okay, where's my veggies, where's my carbs, fats, proteins, stunning. Like that is all you need to do. We need to be realistic. And in today's age, where people are busy and things are scarce when it comes to food, like you know there's nothing at the supermarket these days we need to be realistic and you know realistic for me with with you know with my life and, and things like that isn't cooking different meals every single day it's having like pretty similar meals for dinner most days right now because that's just what works for me and that's okay as well. I know that there, there'll be instances where you know I might oh sorry I might have sorry. <laughs> A partner who I live with and I want to cook meals for them but right now I'm cooking for myself I don't really want to be cooking different things every day come ball with that yeah the other things
0: oh I completely relate to you and agree like when my like family went away for a few weeks I just wanted to make I, I didn't want to make dinner I was like I'll just have like a rice cup with yeah. a sauce protein some veggies and some avocado. And then whenever yeah. my, and my mom every night makes like a proper dinner, like she likes to cook, but she also complains about it. And she'll be like, can you cook dinner? I'm like, I really don't cook dinner. It's fine. Like, I'd rather just make some tuna and rice for everyone. Like, but mm, yeah, it's, yeah. it's true. Like, it's nice to celebrate with family and cook every now and then, but nobody has time for that all the time, especially with like such a busy lifestyle that you follow as well.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I guess, um, you know, the the, the world that we live in right now, there are a lot of different ways to get good nutrition, whether that be through like ready-made meals or whether that be through canned produce or frozen produce. So like utilize that, start getting curious with it. You don't have to make your marinades from scratch anymore. There are fantastic options out there that you can use that are probably cheaper than making it from scratch in the first place. So there are options out there. And just because you're not cooking everything from scratch or you know having different meals every day doesn't mean you're not healthy and eating nutritious food at all.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, another question I wanted to ask, which is kind of a career one, do you have a specialty or kind of favorite area of
1: dietetics? Yeah, good question. So I used to work, um, when I started off, Uh, as a dietitian, I worked with a lot of people who were struggling with irritable bowel syndrome because that was sort of like my little little area that I could relate to. And I felt like I, I, I I know a lot because personally, I invested a lot of money and time into helping myself with it. And also I worked, um, when I was on placement, I did a lot of gastrointestinal areas as well. So I was, I was very educated in that sense. Um, so I, you know, with the clients, I gravitate towards clients who were struggling with irritable bowel syndrome or other sort of gut disorders, like celiac disease and intolerances. Um, nowadays I work with a lot of women and men who struggle with, Um, eating disorders and disordered eating, um, dysfunctional relationships with food, and, of course, still gastrointestinal conditions. So they're, like, my major areas that I love working with, but I also see, you know, your typical sort of um, clients as well, you know, things, people who, for example, want to lose a bit of weight, um, but... I guess people who want to lose weight that come to me are very aware that I'm not necessarily one to put somebody on a diet or anything like that. It's more so um, improving their relationship with food, improve, improving their ability to listen to the hunger and fullness cues. And if that means weight loss, that means weight loss, right? It's not necessarily being like, okay, let's put you on a strict diet. Let's count calories, whatever. So yeah, I guess my approach is I, 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 at the forefront of my mind it's improving somebody's relationship with food improving their sense of self improving their body image whatever that looks like and then there are some people that i see who want to lose weight or who want to improve their symptoms when it comes to the digestion so yeah as a 90% of them would be that though
0: yeah no that that's kind of the area that i i kind of thought you were practicing in and especially with your ability to relate to those it's important because that's your, I guess, your specialty as well, not just as a dietitian, but as a human as well, being able to empathize with people um, going through those um, mm-hmm. things. But that's very interesting. Do you have any, I know, I remember you did, I think it was in a, a live or something where I was like, okay, that is maybe a and a on YouTube. Um, yeah. And you said when someone comes to you and you don't really have the answers because you don't know, it's okay to say, look, I don't really know. I'm going to look into that for you. Yeah. Um, and that made me think, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense because it must be so like, I guess when you first started, especially if someone came yeah. to you because, you know, you're the, you're the specialist and they need help with this, but you don't know the answers because you can't know the answers to everything. Yeah. Um, have you found that like you've grown in your ability to say like, look, I don't specialize in that, but I can look into that for you?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm much more confident in doing it because I understand that, to be honest, like if you say that to a client, firstly, it shows your vulnerability and being like, I don't know everything, like let's explore that together. And it actually gives them the confidence that everything else you're saying you 100% know is correct. So I've tried to approach it from that angle. I had a client this morning who um, asked me a question about, um supplements and whether they multivitamins the iron and calcium interact with each other within the multivitamin and i have absolutely no idea and i literally said i was like i have no idea i'm going to look into that for you at the beginning when i was first studying our first practicing as a dietitian i found it a lot harder because that made me question my ability to be a dietitian nowadays now that i've been practicing for a while and i have a lot of um a lot more experience with certain different types of clients and things I now understand that, like, just because you don't know something doesn't mean you're a bad dietitian or you know, silly dietitian or you don't know enough. It just means that you're human and if you're okay with looking into it, then that's just as, as effective. And, in fact, like, actually saying that you don't know is actually a really, um, yeah, hard but important tool to learn as a dietitian. Oh,
0: yeah, I think even any career, like, you're not going to know everything and have people expect, you know, a doctor to have all the answers. And I've realized doctors don't know much about anything since they're a jacket, like a GP, they're a jack of all trades. They don't actually probably know less. They would know less about dietetics than, you know. Um, and like, even for myself, like doing PT, sometimes if I'm like teaching a difficult lift and I give a specific type of cue and someone's like, Oh, why do I do that? And I'm like, I actually am not too sure, but I've yeah. literally said, I'm not really sure. Actually, I'm going to look into that. And that was because I saw you saying that and I was like, oh, I'm allowed oh, to not what? know things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And like, how did you feel after that? Like, I'm sure the, the client would have been like, cool. Yeah. That's no, that. I was He's like, for me, Aww.
0: yeah, I, in my head, I felt like, I know we were talking about imposter syndrome, but I felt less of an imposter. Cause I was like, this is my specialty. And I, I'm going to be and I can go and tell them that I'm going to look into it because I'm able to understand what it means yeah. um and I'm allowed to not know that but oh. I'm going to know it after this and every time I go through something like this I get more information and get more experience yeah
1: yeah yeah so you, and you're right like if you go to a GP and you ask a question and the GP doesn't know like if they say to you I don't know that like in me, but I'm going to actually look into that for you like you're not going to be questioning their ability to be a GP. Like, you're just going to be like, that's so nice. Like, they're looking yeah. good for me. Oh. Same goes with
0: us. Yeah. No, I'd actually appreciate that more because I've been to too many GPs in the past who, like, for example, a lot of males that when I went to for ongoing amenorrhea and I said, I don't, haven't had a period, they've just been like, oh, it's fine. You know, you just run a lot. And then in my head, I'm like, you literally know less than I do because yeah. I've looked into it. I'm aware yeah. that of like the, if that like, how problematic that is. Um, Yeah. So yeah, people knowing, saying they don't know something is not a bad thing ever. I think it's a good thing because they are aware.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I would, I have, yeah, hundred percent agree with that.
0: Um, So I wanted to end now with just a bunch of short questions about yourself. So (laughs) to start, what would be an ideal day for you?
1: Oh, I love this question. Okay.
0: Mm. I know it's a bit of a hard one because you're like, oh, that's so specific, like one day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, This is actually, this makes me laugh. Can we just side note for a moment? Because when (laughs) on Sunday I was with my um, boyfriend's family and him, and it was like a day where we just chilled out. And although it might've been an ideal day for someone, I actually hated it because I was just like, I'm so bored. Like I can't, like, I just feel so unstimulated. And just, so like, even though it was a beautiful sunny day and we're just like sitting by the lawn or whatever, like the whole time I was like, uh, I'm bored.
0: Like, so yeah.
1: I guess like that's actually something that I need to improve on is chilling out. Um, Anyway, that was a side note, but an yeah. ideal day for me um, would be waking up super early and watching the sunrise with a coffee and going for a surf um, and then doing some sort of movement, whatever that may look like. So going for a run or going to do a bike ride or a swim or something like that, because I know that really sort of sets me up for the day. And then uh, going for a walk with a friend. I love doing that uh, on the Esplanade in Cronulla. It's really beautiful. Having a, a, um, a nice breakfast, avocado on toast or something like that. Um, and then, I don't know, like, I'm having some sort of purpose to the day is important like just chilling by the beach like yeah it's nice but I, I kind of like I like structure and routine something that I find really um, uh, important for my mental health so if that means like visiting friends or doing something like a an activity or something like that a bushwalk that would be something that I'd find more enjoyable than just like kind of flowing the day um and then kind of going home um and having like and making a nice dinner for somebody or some friends or family would be nice and going to bed early that's basically an ideal day for me
0: that actually sounds perfect i i love that and yeah. i do relate to that a lot like the i i'm the same with um, i know we were talking a bit earlier about it's okay to have chill time. And like you, I feel like sometimes I can be like, oh my gosh, I'm not being, you know, productive right now. I feel bad. But um like as in not bad, but like, oh, I could be doing something with this time. We're just sitting here. But I feel like um sometimes if you have that balance of you know chill time, but doing something like seeing a friend or something, you still feel like you've achieved something. You feel like you're doing things that you enjoy. Um, yeah. And I love yeah. that you Seeing the sunrise is on your bucket list because it's so beautiful. Um, mm, yeah, so, even Dubai, it's so hot, like,
1: it's the best time of the day, without a doubt, for me.
0: Yeah, and I love um, you admitting to how much of a millennial you are that you would ideally have avocado and toast on your ideal day. <laughs> it's
1: the best though, like, there's nothing better. Oh,
0: they do it good in Cronulla as well. So
1: yeah, they do, but it costs an arm and a leg. So Oh,
0: a hundred percent for it. Um. So what is one thing on your bucket list that you have yet to do?
1: Oh, I really want to swim with a whale. Like I think that would be sick. Don't
0: yeah, that's, it does, that, that would be really cool, but kind of frightening as well because they could just yeah, swallow you.
1: <laughs> no, but that's exciting, isn't it? Like you could be dead, knocking, but like in a, very, <laughs> in a very safe environment, not just like, hey, whale, swim out there. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Somewhere yeah. where they, there's a boat that could save you in case it decided to like whack you with its massive tail or something.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. I would love to do that. That'd be so nice.
0: That, that's pretty awesome. I've swam with seals in the wild. Um, it was awesome, but it was also just freezing. Like the whole time I was, I'm not good with the cold. I'm assuming that you aren't too bad because you swim in the ocean quite a lot.
1: Mm, I don't mind swimming in the ocean um but I don't like being cold like yeah it, like that's you know half the reason why I left Tasmania because it's so cold down there so for me like being cold is a really uncomfortable feeling but it's also like sitting with discomfort when you're swimming in the ocean it's freezing can be really good for your, your mind and resilience and things so that's that's oh, kind of sure. I do it. yeah
0: no that's actually that's very true but um I agree as well like I would rather be too hot than too cold
1: yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Last few questions. Um, since you're a dietitian, what is your favorite savory food? And then we'll do your favorite
1: sweet food. Oh, um, hot chips. Okay.
0: Very basic. Very Aussie. <laughs>
1: yeah, but basic is best. Basic is best. Hot chips are the best thing ever. Oh, <laughs> I love them. Yeah, and then the
0: triathlon training. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. And then, did you say sweet? Yeah, favorite sweet food. I have a question. Is peanut butter sweet or savory?
0: That's, are you are you asking that to like me, like what my thoughts are or just in yeah. general? Because like cool, I think it's really? like a, yeah, I feel like peanut butter to some people is sweet and to some people it's savory. To me, it's a sweet food because I only have it with sweet things like oats mm. or like mm. banana, like it's sweet food. But I, I feel like some people have it, you know, in like satay or like with celery. So...
1: I guess, um, yeah. I guess it's when you, what you put with it. That's a mm. really good point. Okay. Well, I'm gonna say peanut butter. But if I want to choose like more sweet, then probably like chocolate. Okay. Oh, but I also like fruit.
0: It's hard. Sweet. So it's a hard it's one because like fruit. Like yum. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite fruit? Grapes. Oh, green grapes.
1: Mm. Oh no, black grapes.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Or oh, purple grapes, black the yeah. black black ones. They're yeah, no,
0: I know the ones you're talking about. They're like, mm, they're really good.
1: They're thick. <laughs> yeah,
0: since um pretty much everybody these days, um, I'm actually not one of them, but um has a coffee addiction. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, I noticed that you did say one of your things on your ideal day would to be having a coffee after you watch the sunrise. Or while, um, what is your coffee order?
1: Um, almond cappuccino, extra hot
0: oh and you're an extra hot type of gal
1: that's like my mom (laughs) i hate hate like warm coffee i hate it like it's it's either supposed to be cold or really hot like no in between (laughs) but if you say extra hot like it just you know um surpasses that risk of having a maybe a warm coffee yeah
0: no i i get that like get it yeah like it, it should be extra hot, but you just saying in case they give you like a lukewarm one.
1: Yeah. 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 No. Um, otherwise like when I'm at home, I just have instant coffee from like Coles or Woolies and have milk. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not like a, a connoisseur when it comes to coffee. yeah,
0: not a coffee snub.
1: You just, yeah. yeah. I, I love um, actually, this is a fun fact. Yeah. I love the 7-Eleven coffees. Like if I were to say like go on the way to the beach, I'd get like a 7-Eleven coffee or something like that. Like I love it. Like, it's so I've good. I've actually
0: heard a few people saying that 7-Eleven coffee is yeah. really good.
1: It's good. Like, it's worth the, the dollar. Like, it costs a dollar. Yeah. Versus,
0: like, it's worth the dollars. dollar. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, worth that dollar rather than, yeah, the stupid amount of money it costs for, oh, for coffee.
0: The, and, the $5 for an almond coffee. So it's
1: just-
0: when. Yeah. Whenever places charge like an extra 50 or 70 cents but everywhere. I'm like, but surely these milks aren't that alternative anymore that yeah, it's not worth surely an extra. You're getting the yeah. same
1: In terms of, you know, bulk discounts. On yeah. A
0: sale. Um, all right. To finish off. Yeah. I always like to end with a quote. So do you have a favorite quote or any life mm-hmm. mottos that you live by? Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, okay. I love, 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 love quotes, like obsessed with them. And I read a quote the other day and I thought I'd share this one actually. Now I think about it, I might share it. Um, It is not necessarily my favorite quote, but it's a quote that resonates with me at the moment. And that is the day that you plant the seed isn't the day that you eat the fruit. And how I interpret that is, although you might be putting in a lot of work now and, and it's hard and it's difficult or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean just because you're not getting rewarded now doesn't mean you're not going to get it rewarded at a later date. And I think that you can you can sort of interpret that in in different elements of your life as well. So whether that be friendships or relationships or, or financial health or, or mental health or, you know, your work, like so many different elements. So I do like that quote.
0: Oh, I love that quote. I resonate with that a lot, especially uh, with training because mm. I can be very yeah. impatient person and athlete. So if I'm like training, I'm like, why am I, you know, running way quicker, even though I know it takes a lot of time. So that's a beautiful quote to just remind yourself that planting the seed, it could take, and trees, for example, take decades to grow. So patience. I love that.
1: Yeah. Patience. I, um, yeah. Patience is a virtue, I believe. (laughs) Oh,
0: definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining uh, me on the podcast. It was so good to talk to you. I feel like I could um, talk to you forever, but we've almost been going for two hours. So I'm. Oh done my it. Gosh. Wow. I know it goes so fast. I know, and I know you have like more clients soon. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> Where can the listeners find you if they do want to reach out to you or potentially see you as a dietitian?
1: Yeah. Um, so I have Instagram, so it's just Alice Bleepman underscore dietitian. Um, so you can reach out to me there. You can follow me or whatever. Um, Otherwise, if you want to book in a consult, um, just pop my name into Google and my website should come up um, or you can just go www.aliceblieterman.com. Um, they're probably the best ways to find me at the moment, um, but I also offer like free discovery calls too. So if you're not really sure whether dietitian is something that would be find useful, then I can offer free 15 minute discovery calls as well, which you can book on the website too. So there's lots of options, um, but. Yeah. Thanks so much, Imi, for having me on. I'm, I'm really glad that we got to talk and hopefully you guys who are listening got something out of that.
0: Yeah, no, it was really great talking to you. Thanks so much, Alice. And I'll pop your Instagram and stuff in the show notes and on the Instagram post. So if you guys aren't sure how to spell Alice's last name or anything, she'll be tagged in the post. So definitely give her a follow and book a discovery call if that's something that... It resonates <laughs> with you um but thanks so much Alice my pleasure Amy thank you thank you so much to Alice for joining me on the podcast Alice was just a joy to talk to and just a great human so don't forget to check her out and follow her on Instagram at Alice Blefman, underscore dietitian she shares plenty of helpful educational as well as inspiring content on her Instagram as always, if you did enjoy the podcast, don't forget to leave it a review and rate it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Comment below on at Insight Instagram for more episodes you would like to hear. And I hope you guys join me in the next episode. See ya!